1: 49 years ago today was a big day around here. Big day for me too. It was the day I got my first press pass to a Pittsburgh sports event. It was opening day for the Pirates. I was working for a little cable TV station doing local sports in Sharon, PA. It was my first job. It was also the day that the Pirates officially retired Roberto Clemente's number 21. They hung a big 21 banner on the wall in right field, stayed there for, I don't know, maybe more than that season. Anyway, Clemente had died the previous December 31st, as everybody knows, and it was a big moment when they presented his jersey to his widow Vera at home plate. Her sons, all very young, were there with her. It was quite a scene. I was thrilled to be on the field for the first time, and being a kid who grew up watching Clemente, It was uh, quite a moment to be part of, Uh, and I was just as thrilled, by the way, to be sitting at the table next to Bob Prince before the game in the uh, press lounge. I grew up listening to him and wouldn't be talking to you now if not for him. He was the reason I decided to get into broadcasting. I covered a lot of Pirates games after that, uh, met a lot of big-name stars who I also grew up watching. Uh, I've always regretted missing out on covering Clemente by one year, and it's hard to believe it was 49 years ago. And I would never have imagined then what would have what would happen to the Pirates in the Major League Baseball. Back then, the Steelers had still not won a championship and Pittsburgh was still very much a baseball town, as hard as that may be to believe for people who didn't live it. Uh, I went to a lot of home openers after that, and it used to be my favorite day of the year covering sports. Now, I literally wouldn't go to another opening day if you paid me. I got paid to go to that one. And now would be a good time to mention again that it's long past time for Major League Baseball to retire the number 21 Major League Baseball-wide. Nobody should wear that number again anywhere in baseball. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to an expert on big tech about what to expect now that Elon Musk has infiltrated Twitter. And in our second half hour, what Tucker Carlson gets wrong every night. Stick around.
2: of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule changing the world one life at a time
0: well i drive a truck for a living i don't get hardly any exercise
3: i'm not kidding you now i'm not easily sold on anything but i'm a firm believer
0: in this product
3: you know, I watched those uh, advertisements for two or three years and listened to the radio going down the road. And I said, something's got to be going on with that product for that many people to do ads for them. And I'll tell you what, I I just uptown a while ago, I told some of my buddies, I said, I'm not BSing you, man. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing. It totally amazes me
2: experience the balance of nature difference for yourself right now balance of nature is offering free shipping and 35 percent off on any new preferred order start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751 that's 800-2468-751 or go to balance and use discount code Balance. This is
1: John Stagerold. You know, I used to think that all towels are pretty much the same, but I found out with my pillow towels, that's not the case. Towels just don't seem to dry anymore. They feel soft and lotion in the storage, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at Pillow found out that around 2006, towels changed forever. They started importing them and adding softeners and other things to the cotton that made them feel good, but they didn't work. He found the best towel company right here in the USA, and they have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work work they're all made with usa cotton they come with the my pillow 60 day money back guarantee you can get a six-piece set two bath two hand towels and two washcloths made with usa cotton soft and absorbent regularly 109.99 now 39.99 just go to mypillow.com click on the new radio lister specials get deep discounts on all my pillow products including the towels enter promo code stag or call 800-716-8087 for these great radio specials
0: spring cleaning is upon us but there's one meaningful box that you
3: don't throw away when cleaning out your closet. It's the box filled with your family's important videotapes, film reels, and photos. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako. We started Legacy Box over a decade ago to help families organize and update their analog media to digital. Legacy Box is simple and easy. It works and is safe. Over a million families have trusted Legacy Box. And Legacy Box has been featured in Good Housekeeping, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. Legacy Box is like magic, converting your shoebox of memories to the cloud or thumb drive, ready to watch and share. Declutter your closet by digitizing your media. Become more organized and accomplished,
1: knowing your family's recorded past is safe forever. Take advantage of our spring cleaning sale going on
3: now. It's the easiest task to check off your to-do list. Go to LegacyBox.com LBOX to get an incredible 50% off your Legacy Box. That's LegacyBox.com LBOX for 50% off while supplies last. LegacyBox.com
0: LBOX. This view was worth a hike.
4: Right?
0: Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Collegard is right for you. Or visit collegard.com. I'm in. The John Steigerwald Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
1: Well, you've heard by now that Elon Musk bought 10%, about 10% of Twitter's stock a couple of days ago. And now he's on the board of directors. He's a big fan of free speech as opposed to this current CEO who's not. So what does this mean for conservatives? Kara Frederick is a research fellow in the Center for Technology Policy at the Heritage Foundation. She also has worked at Facebook headquarters regional intelligence team in California, knows all about big tech. And she joins us now. Kara, thanks for coming on the show again.
4: Of course. Thanks for having me.
1: So, uh, Elon seems to have already shaken things up. Why do you think he did this?
4: Yeah, well, I think if his public pronouncements are to be believed, that he thinks that Twitter is a problem. Uh, if you'll remember, he tweeted out in March 26 he said, Given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. So he had already bought a lot of his shares by then. In fact, there's a new reporting that's just coming out saying that he's been buying up um, shares since January of this past year. So uh, he seems to think that this is a problem, that Twitter censorship and stifling of freedom of expression is an issue. So good, he's putting his money where his mouth is, and he's... Hopefully, going to do something about it.
1: Would you have liked to have been a, uh, a fly on the wall uh, around the Twitter offices when uh, they started noticing that he was starting to buy up stock? They, that had they oh. had to be. Uh, I would love to hear what they were talking about when they saw
4: that. <laughs> More than you know, uh, there's a, a couple employees who've already tweeted out publicly that they're they're leaving the company because they don't want to stand for what he represents. So I say, good riddance. You know, get those people who are. So actively involved. I mean, they're activists, right? They're they're not just employees. They're people who are. They have an agenda, and yes, they might have some sort of technical job. Most of these guys don't. Most of them are employed by the cost centers of these tech uh, behemoths. So they cost the the money of the company money. They don't actually make it for them. They're not the programmers or the engineers. They're like the HR people, maybe the product managers, who tend to be a little more uh, leftist, shall we say? But but yeah, I'm I'm really really heartened by by what I've seen so far. It looks like the CEO, uh, at least ostensibly, the current CEO, of Parag Agaral, is gonna you know play nice for the time being. He sent out a couple of public tweets. Oh, we're so glad to have Elon on the board as well. So we'll see what that looks like because I think another thing that people should think about is Mr. Agarwal actually tweeted out in 2020 that, or he didn't tweet out, he said this publicly. He said that our role is not to be bound by the first amendment. And we know that even though Elon Musk is from South Africa, he likes freedom of expression. And that first amendment represents a culture of free expression that we have here in the U S. So hopefully he'll use that as a guiding principle.
1: Yeah, I, I thought about that a little bit, um, and I, I, it was a, a a thing, a very revealing si- thing that he said. But I think some people misinterpret. Um, he doesn't really have the ability to, to to do anything about the First Amendment because I I don't think you or I have a First Amendment right to speak on Twitter or to or to or to get our views out on Twitter if the government's not involved in in. Uh, and I don't know, stifling speech. It's really not. It doesn't have anything to do with the First Amendment, does it? I, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that it's. You know, him. He's 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 gained the power of government, but he still doesn't have have the 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 ultimate power to do anything to anybody's First Amendment. It's, it's, yeah,
4: so there's a couple things at play here, and I think um, the the Coinbase CEO, which is the cryptocurrency exchange, uh, Brian Armstrong, he in February articulated the fact that you know there's an imperative to use the First Amendment as a guiding principle in our content moderation policy. So even if you know they might not be legally held to the First Amendment as a private company, he basically said that we've chosen to use it as the guiding principle of our content moderation approach because it's in line with our values. And in a quote, it helps ensure that we don't fall down a slippery slope over time. And then he talks about the the hundreds of years of case law that the First Amendment has built up behind it, which provides that reasonable framework to moderate content. So... If everyone takes a page out of Brian Armstrong's book, which I think Elon might actually do if he really does have that much weight in the company, he controls almost 10% um, of the company at this point. He's the top shareholder. There's other institutional shareholders that he has to contend with in the top 10 as well, like BlackRock, who are no friend to, you know, uh, us on the right here or conservatives, at least so. So I think that's a big thing that Elon can do right away. But I think there's more of a fundamental issue that people don't really talk about. And first and foremost is, you know, our rights are God given, right? They're enshrined in our founding documents, like the Bill of Rights, which is the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Um, And our government, and you know, we have to, we have a culture of free speech that's built around that. Uh, And then lastly. These private companies, Twitter itself is accused of working with the government to police speech. Uh, There's a complaint in, in, in California that basically says that a conservative commentator was scrutinized and then yanked off Twitter ultimately at the behest of the state government, the office of the secretary of state of California, and they actually provided documentation on how. Uh, the the government reached out to Twitter and said, hey, look at this guy because he's criticizing election integrity efforts in 2020, and they actually started taking a serious look at him, and they'd never done it before. So these private companies work with the government. Does that make them quasi-state actors susceptible to the First Amendment? Potentially, but also it impinges upon our culture of free speech and the disposition of Americans to speak freely, which should not be allowed. Uh, yeah. Private companies can infringe upon our rights, too.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I just I, – I try to be consistent as all um, – because I, I I, I have no patience for people who say Colin Kaepernick's First Amendment rights were abused or prevented because <laughs> it, it, it had nothing to do with his First Amendment. It had everything to do with the time that he chose to express his First Amendment rights, and the government never complained once about him kneeling. Nobody in the government ever said a word about it, told him he couldn't do it. It was the people who were paying him six hundred thousand dollars a game uh, who didn't <laughs> didn't want him out there uh, annoying eighty uh, percent of their customers. And so some, I think sometimes people miss miss the point. But I I, I agree one hundred percent with what you what you said. Um, but getting back to Elon joining uh, Twitter, uh, liberals at places like the Washington Post are already calling him dangerous. Uh, how how worried should all the liberals working at Twitter be? That uh, you know
4: I hope. I hope they're quaking in their Birkenstocks. You know, yeah. I yeah. really want, and and you know that there's been a lot of tip for tat between the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, right. um, and Elon Musk. You know, the personal invectives have, have been flying in the public discourse between the two, and uh, the outlet at least. So, And they've targeted, uh, the Washington Post has targeted Elon uh, many times. So, you know, I want, I really hope that leftists are afraid that they're you know, stranglehold on these choke points of information um, is, is going to loosen a bit given Elon and his uh, shareholding power and his board seat. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what his end game is. You know, I'd really like for him to come out with a bang and, you know, see President Trump reinstated as a signal that the times are changing at the company. Uh, and I'd really, really love for him to really make good on Jack Dorsey's promises for more user empowerment. You know, let people choose which algorithms that they want to use on Twitter. So so I think, you know, if some of the the public tweets of these employees who are very worried are any indication, then, you know, they, they absolutely should be quaking in those Birkenstocks.
1: Yeah, well, didn't uh, Twitter say today that it won't be reinstating Trump? Is that, I guess that's not the final word on the issue? It's uh, as of this moment, they're not going to?
4: You know, I haven't seen that, but I really hope that that's not the case.
1: Yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, the the algorithms Uh, Rachel Bovard uh, at the Federalist she listed a bunch of things that she said Musk could do to improve Twitter and she said um, one of the things she said was to give the users more power over their content uh, with moderation uh, logarithms that would allow liberals to down rank conservative content and vice versa could you explain what that is and and is that doable yeah so
4: this something that Jack Dorsey has been promising for a long time. And it basically, um, it, it, the way that he couches it is he says that users should have control over which third-party algorithms they choose. So instead of Twitter's main algorithm sort of giving you uh, what you see in your timeline and feeding you the, the tweets that you actually see, it would allow users to, to actually choose what content they want to see more of and what content they want to see less of. So if you're a crazy leftist and you want to see, you know, less of Christopher Rufo's exposure of Disney's practices and the grooming of children, then you just basically choose an algorithm that doesn't allow you to see Chris Rufo's tweets or the people that he's connected to and his tweets are the people that he likes, etc. You're only going to see your Black Lives Matter content and, uh, you know, whatever it is these leftists, uh, take a look at before they go to bed at night. If you're a conservative, you know, we see more of Rachel Bovard's content from mm-hmm. The Federalist. If you're a conservative, you choose an algorithm that, you know, people that she's friends with, uh, people that she works with, uh, maybe like Newsweek contributor, jo- or opinion editor Josh Hammer, who also writes really well on this big tech stuff. Uh, and likes a lot of Rachel's tweets, et cetera, et cetera. So, so then you wouldn't have to necessarily see uh, the you know crazy screaming teachers who want to indoctrinate your children, who are cutting these videos because they're so upset they can't do it in Florida now. So I think it's um, what Rachel's getting at is she's basically saying you can curate your own content in, instead of having this big monolithic leftist Twitter do it for you.
1: Well, how how is that different? And I'm 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 asking this because I'm my my. My um, ability to translate techies is, is not that great. Um, how is that different from uh, my ability to mute or block somebody? If I don't want to hear what Christopher Rufo has to say, I just mute them.
4: Yep. So that's kind of just nibbling around at the edges. You're still at the behest of Twitter's main algorithm. So you're still at the behest of what, you know, Twitter does or doesn't want you to see. If the user is empowered further than you already are right now, then you'll have, I won't say total control over what you see and what the algorithm feeds you. Because again, remember when the hard to Biden laptop story came out in October of 2020 and it was suppressed now, uh, because the algorithm suppress it, because they broke links and direct messages and whatnot, if the user were more empowered to the degree that I believe Rachel is probably talking about, then you would be able to see that. There wouldn't be some you know, content moderation decision, uh, both at the edges and coming from on high, that would prevent you from, from seeing this information. You get to choose what you want.
1: And speaking of Birkenstocks, uh, and, and speaking of Rachel Bovard, one of the other things she mentioned was um, that he he could move Twitter out of Silicon Valley to a place where uh, you know maybe where normal people live more more normal people <laughs> that, live. <laughs> right.
4: That would be great. Uh, you know, a lot of um, you know the 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 idea that silicon valley is sort of the locus of power uh, in the universe in a physical way has abated a bit since covid a lot of these um tech employees have you know taken their largesse and moved to bozeman montana they moved to austin and whatnot so um i i definitely don't think silicon valley as a region is as important as it used to be but it still is you know you're they're they're still there i do think if you spread it out in the country if maybe you're in iowa maybe you're in idaho then you would attract more frankly normal people with more uh, opinions that the rest of america shares so i think she's on to something there it would be great to to let them relocate at least for their headquarters
1: we're talking to Kara frederick she's a research fellow in the center for technology policy at the heritage foundation you also worked at facebook um uh cara and i'm just wondering um uh, is, has Twitter been the biggest offender when it comes to censorship, and how does it compete with Facebook when it comes to that?
4: <laughs> I think they're both pretty neck and neck for, for being pretty bad offenders. Uh, Google's right up there as well if you look at how their searches are manipulated. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, I think uh, the, a lot of the, the big five tech companies can't really – don't they don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to this. Um, if you look at Apple, the censorship it takes place a lot when it comes to their dealings with China. Uh, so they don't allow some, let's say, apps that are more inclined for the Hong Kong protesters or freedom lovers on their store and whatnot. Um, and then Amazon, uh, we can't let them get away either because they, if you remember in january of 2021 when they turned off amazon web services for parlor that's when parlor went lights out so apple yeah. and google had done it before but but amazon web services did the same thing so i think the big five uh, and you know microsoft has acquiesced to uh when it comes to Tankman on bing uh they at the behest of a really Chinese censorship. They basically said, "Oh, okay, we are not going to talk about Tank Man. I remember in the Tiananmen Square massacre kind of thing too, until people raise an issue." And you'll see their Microsoft-owned LinkedIn also talks about, uh, "Let's put your pronouns in there," and sort of nudges you in that direction. So they're all pretty big offenders. Um, they they want to enforce the leftist orthodoxy, but. When it comes down to, to Facebook and Twitter, I mean, these guys were really leading the way when it comes came to the Hunter Biden laptop story, oh, which yeah. to me was the crossing the Rubicon. So, so they're I think neck and neck for uh, for, for biggest censorship uh, and biggest violators of our culture of free speech in America. And they're they're still going, they're still steamrolling over the American people. Not to mention our, our sitting president of the then sitting president of the United States.
1: It's is it kind of uh, nefarious also that they do the things that like shadow banning and and all the other things that they do. Um, you know about it because you're an expert on this stuff, and maybe I know about it because I talk about it on the radio and I pay more attention to what's going on. But they get away with a lot because people. I mean, what percentage of people do you think who are on Twitter are actually aware of how they're being controlled? And, and how oh, what they see is being controlled by someone else.
4: Yeah, I would say an infinitesimal amount. You know, you sense it, right? At, at, your, at, at a visceral level, you sense that something is amiss here, right? When yeah. the, your reality sort of conflicts with what you're seeing in the digital space. But, but the thing is, a lot of these companies, they use and they tweak internal tools that are changing by the day. So yes there are times when they make huge facelifts to their algorithm like facebook did in 2018 uh to maximize user engagement that really changed the game but all the while they're sort of tinkering their programmers are tinkering and you you may never know what actually happens when it comes to suppression we had an example where one of our scholars at the heritage foundation mike gonzalez he wrote a book um and he advertised for it on amazon and it was about connecting Black Lives Matter with Marxism. And pretty soon, he wasn't allowed to monetize his ads for the book at all. And because we're the Heritage Foundation, we were able to say, hey, you know, we're a big research institution. What's going on here? And they actually responded to us, thank goodness. But it was human error, they said. Yeah, so, right. you know, there are ways where, right, the, the content moderators could be, oh, this is absolutely not. But maybe it was flagged by a machine first when a human wrote code that basically didn't allow some of these terms to work together well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very murky sort of situation that really changes by the day. And you will almost never know why uh, if this happens, or frankly, if it's happening at all, you, you can monitor, uh, you can look at, you know different levels and deltas and engagement from one year to the next but you'll almost never know because these companies are not transparent about their content moderation practices or the decisions that they make
1: i got a little less than a minute to go uh with Kara frederick a research fellow in the center for uh, technology policy at the heritage foundation uh, what should the republicans be planning to do about big tech if they win the house and senate carol
4: Oh man, there's a there's a litany of things, and we actually wrote them all down in our heritage report that came out in February. It's called uh, a, a Combating Big Tech Totalitarianism: A Roadmap." Uh, so it's almost forty or fifteen thousand words of of advice for Republicans of what they can do. But I think first and foremost, we have to make sure that tech companies cannot be used by the government as agents to chill speech. When Jen Psaki basically says that we're working with Facebook to Shouldn't be allowed. Um, tech com- antitrust laws need to be enforced uh, and reformed if necessary. Section 230 should be reformed in a focused way as well. And these leaders, these tech companies leadership, they should be held accountable for these decisions as well as have more transparency. Uh, data privacy regulations would go great so Americans know you know how their data is being used, stored, collected, and shared. I think those are some things right off the bat, but we've got a ton of other written down if you go to the heritage website and uh, they're all there for you to see.
1: I'm out of time, Cara. The next time I have you on, I'm going to ask you why. I'm stuck on 14.8 thousand uh, followers for two years. Exactly that number. I know there's something happening there, but I'm out of time. Thank, thanks for coming oh, yeah. on. Of
4: course, anytime.
1: Okay, that's Cara Frederick of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back.
0: With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. More sanctions coming from the U.S. toward Russia today as a result of its ongoing war in Ukraine. We get an update from White House correspondent Greg Cluxton. Vowing to ratchet up the pain on Vladimir Putin, the president announced new sanctions, which include the blocking of two key Russian banks.
3: We're locking down any accounts,
1: any funds that those banks hold in the United States. They'll not be able to touch any of their money.
0: The U.S. sanctions also singled out Putin's family, targeting his two adult daughters. The United Kingdom quickly followed suit with more economic sanctions of its own. Greg Clugston, the White House.
1: Also at SRNews.com, authorities say one person is dead in Georgia, another in Texas, amid damaging storms, high winds, and tornadoes that stretched across parts of the South. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 118 points, and NASDAQ down 292. This is SRN News.
3: About to compare a pepper shaker to a cash-out refinance. Hang with me. You know when you're at a restaurant and they ask, would you like some fresh ground pepper? And then they crank that giant tube, but almost nothing comes out? For me, only a certain amount of time is socially acceptable to wait. I know that getting that pepper out might make my life better, but it just seems too impossible. And that's what we hear people say about the cash-out refinance. People realize that the value of their home has gone up like hot pepper the last few years, leaving all this extra money sitting inside their home. But is it too hard to get out? It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage. If you're interested in cashing out the extra pepper in your home, we're good at doing all the work while you just sit back and relax. And often, your mortgage payment and years in the loan will stay the same. If you'd like to hear about your options...
4: We... Our United, United
0: Faith, mortgage. Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA United Mortgage Corp 25 Maple Park Road, Millwood, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to NMLS Consumer Access Federal or Corporate NMLS Number 1330. Equal Housing Lender. licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. AM 1250, The Answer, The Mike Gallagher Show. He's your happy conservative warrior. Make this sacrifice and watch five minutes of MSNBC or CNN. They are so consumed with rage against Donald Trump, they are terrified of you and me and the millions and millions of people who would happily put Donald Trump back into the Oval Office. Breaking news and what to make of it. The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon, on AM 1250, The Answer. Head out on the highway, two powerful wheels. Riding season is around
1: the corner, and Pit Cycles has what you're looking for. This is John Steigerwald. Stop by Pit Cycles today for a huge selection of bikes from KTM, Indian, and Triumph. 114 models to choose from in a fun, pressure-free environment. With demand high and supply limited, now is the time to order. Pre-order today for just a dollar in Warrendale next to Jurgles or at PitCycles.com.
2: PitCycles! Are you wondering if this year you'll still be asking why it seems so easy for other people to find love, but so hard for me? If you're feeling the pain of being alone and are tired of everyone around you finding their soulmates and leaving you behind, then get ready to remove the barriers to finding the marriage of your dreams and start believing it's possible for you. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman. Join me in my Married in 12 Months Challenge where I'll teach you why now is your time to find love What are the lies that are holding you back? Why God wants you to be married? The biblical law of attraction and the tools you need to become a bride. Listen, if you deeply desire to be married, but you're still single, you should be doing something about it. Sign up for my free Married in 12 Months 5-Day Challenge at lovestories.com. The only thing you have to lose is the pain of being alone on your journey. So join me at LoveStories.com. That's LoveStories.com. AM
0: 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
4: Hanging on to heavy delays on outbound 28 as we finish out the rush hour from 40th Street Bridge up to Highland Park Bridge. At least a 15-minute delay. Outbound Parkway East also still pretty stacked up between Forbes Avenue and the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Delay of about 12 minutes there. Inbound still busy from 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway West, not bad though. Outbound just taking a couple extra minutes from Banksville Road up to Carnegie. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
0: AM 1250, the answer, weather. On and off rain and drizzle for tonight with a low of 48. Mostly cloudy skies tomorrow. We'll see periods of rain and a thunderstorm late in the afternoon and we'll reach a high of 64. Tomorrow night, periods of rain and a thunderstorm in the evening. We'll see considerable clouds otherwise with a low of 45. Thursday, a little morning rain, otherwise mostly cloudy skies. We'll reach a high Thursday of 59. With your AccuWeather Weather Forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John stocker Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, I'm a regular viewer of Tucker
1: Carlson's show on Fox. I think he's the best talent in cable news. But there's something he does that gets on my nerves a little bit. He always refers to, quote, our democracy. And I guess I think a guy who's as smart as he is should know that we don't live in one. But he's not the only person in Washington who does. Jonathan E. Moore is a constitutional law attorney. He's also the author of a book, The Authoritarians, Their Result on Liberty, the Constitution, and Free Enterprise from the 19th Century to the Present. He wrote about uh, this today at townhall.com, and he joins us now. Jonathan, thanks for being here.
3: Great to be with you, John.
1: So uh, why is it important that people know the difference and and, and that so many people don't seem to know the difference?
3: Well, they need to understand the difference because, uh, as the Founding Fathers understood it, pure democracy was tyranny. The reason for that is that if a majority can override the rights of a a minority through a vote on an issue, then uh, our rights are not secure because any one of us can at any one time be in the minority. So they created a republic, and a republic is distinct from a democracy and indeed, a republic cabins or controls democracy so that it does not violate the rights of the minority
1: yeah, and so if you had a pure democracy which which and you point out in your piece that so many people refer to preserving our democracy and all those things uh, the majority there are only the uh, only twelve percent of our population is black um so the other eighty-eight percent could vote to have uh, slavery come back again, and that would be pure democracy because that's what the people—that's that's the majority
3: rule, right? Right. That was the founders' concern. They noted that throughout history, passion uh, in a majority has resulted in the deprivation of the rights of the minority. And their purpose, their very purpose of creating a constitution and our republic, was to ensure that all rights would be protected against government deprivation and so they meant for our country to be a republic in which there would be a separation of powers and competing power centers with the ability to interdict or veto a a measure uh... so that the legislative branches at the time the house of representatives because the senate did not become direct elected until the seventeenth amendment was passed but Uh, the House of Representatives, out of which the spending bills originate, would not be in a position to deny us our rights, even if a popular movement were afoot to do so.
1: And uh, there are lots of Democrats out there who complain about a little meaningless state like Wyoming uh, getting the same number of senators as the really important places like uh, New York and California. What are they missing? And, and it's one thing for me or the guy down the street not to, uh, to, you know, to have an issue with it, but there are people in power, people in government who complain that that's – and I'm talking about people who have been around Washington for a long time, guys like Robert Reich and you know, saying that it's ridiculous that Wyoming has the same number of senators as California. This is a guy who was in a powerful position at one time.
3: If they would undo the great compromise that the founding fathers had between the big states and the states, affording the small states the Senate uh, option of uniformity with two senators in each state, and having popular uh, the uh, a, a, a percentage of the population justify you know present in the Senate, justifying who you uh, have represent you in excuse me in the House, um, that is a serious mistake because part of the whole purpose of the separation of powers uh, is to ensure that there are different power centers represented, but not dominant. So they have to work or compromise to achieve the passage of legislation. That within the confines of a constitution of delegated powers, where by its very nature it was intended to be limited in what it could do that the Democrat Party uh, has largely sold its soul to the socialists and now believes in democratic socialism, by which they mean that a popular majority ought to be able to uh, take the property rights away from a minority that has property and redistribute it, ought to be able to destroy an entire industry like the fossil fuel industry, in order to pursue a ridiculous climate change agenda, which few of us will worry about the climate when we starve to death or freeze to death or fry in the summertime. Uh, But it's that kind of mentality which has swept a good portion of the population into a misunderstanding of who we are. America is a republic. It is not a pure democracy. It never can be a pure democracy without wiping out the rights of a significant minority, which changes based on the issue. Yeah. So you may not be in the minority today, but you may well be in the minority tomorrow.
1: Well, you are a constitutional law attorney. We're talking to Jonathan Emord, and he's also the author of the author- the Authoritarians: Their Assault on Liberty, the Constitution, and Free Enterprise from the 19th Century to the Present. Um, just as a as a guy who has studied this stuff um, and written a book about it was, uh, looking back on it now, was having um, senators be elected by popular vote a bad idea?
3: I think it was. Um, I I know uh, part of Jacksonian democracy was the push for greater democracy and a dissatisfaction with uh, the inability of the majority to rule uh, without uh, restraint. But that is not Uh, a safe place for people who believe in liberty and if we had an indirectly elected senate that was beholden to the state legislatures imagine the presence of power uh, for state issues that would be manifest in the communication of those senators so for example the majority of states in the United States are opposed to mandates for example vaccine mandates or mask mandates Uh, a majority opposes critical race theory in the schools for example well you would hear far more discussion of the need to protect the states in their right to dissent from these administration uh... favored positions um, in the senate if the senate was beholden to the state legislatures so by making them directly elected we've diluted the, the protection of property rights And of uh, these special interests, which has a negative connotation, but I mean these interests that manifest themselves in the states, but not in the national government, uh, such as the ones I've mentioned. So it would be different, I suspect, and in a good way, by introducing more issues of concern to states and localities into federal decision-making, thereby protecting property rights at the local level and... Uh, the interests of the states against the usurpation of power, which frequently comes from the imposition of unfunded mandates by the federal government, which deprive the states and render them more functionaries than independent political units in our political dual federalist system.
1: And if you were to suggest to someone or say it out loud uh, that you think it would be a good idea if you just popped up in Washington D.C. and started saying, you know, I think it would be a good idea if um, we we had the Senate, uh, the senators elected by state legislatures instead of by a direct vote, you would be looked at like you were insane because most people don't even know that that was the case. That it took a constitutional amendment to change that, and I'm I'm talking about including some people maybe in politics who would who would think you were insane and wouldn't realize that it actually that's the way it was supposed to be,
3: right. It's, uh, we have this, we've, we've, well, since the First World War, principally, uh, we have made the quest for global democracy to be an end-all be-all that everyone is supposed to pay allegiance to. That, of course, was one of the founding cries for the creation of the League of Nations and then the United Nations was this idea, we will democratize the world well, we ought not be democratizing the world. We ought to do what Jefferson did with the Declaration of Independence when he remarked subsequently uh, to how successful it was as an instrument to inspire revolution around the world for republics, not for democracies.
1: Mike on there. Uh, The um, the, the Electoral College is kind of along the same lines, uh, That pushing back against that is, seems to have almost reached a level of a movement. What do you say to people, and there are a lot of them, who, who don't understand why the founders didn't want the president to be elected by popular vote?
3: Well, they definitely wanted a check on popular will. And you see, in the case of the president, you have someone who has the power and did have then to declare war. Uh, Congress is to declare war, but I mean to implement uh, a action of aggression or defense of the nation and it can lead to a, uh, a war whether it's defensive or otherwise and so having the ability to temper passion and hotheads uh, by having a deliberative body is a check the, the, the um, whole purpose of that is to ensure that there is deliberation and a check on democratic influences, which left alone can very singularly, in the case of a person running for president, result in a person of passion being elected with a mandate to do something extraordinary. I mean, you can imagine, in association with this uh, Ukrainian horrendous situation, uh, that if it were election season now, it's conceivable, not outside the realm of possibility, that a person who would... Uh, swear to uh, use air power, American military power, in the form of air power to annihilate uh, the Soviet air power and and balance the scale, but then risk um, nuclear war, um, might might succeed in in drawing the passions of the people and being elected. But it may be that the the election could turn instead on, on the Electoral College vote, which it would, and that might temper that democratic impulse.
1: Yeah, and um, would you say that, uh, in general, Democrats are now actually pushing for the uh, kind of government that is exactly what the Constitution was written to prevent?
3: Precisely. What they seek is really what the Founding Fathers understood to be tyranny. They really are not Democrats in the sense that they don't favor democracy, really. Democracy is but a hook by which means they intend to get into power but once in power they intend to rule without constitutional restraints and without regard to the will of the people it is a totalitarian drive or authoritarian drive that dominates the democrat party today that's why we see this administration for example uh entirely impervious to public opinion they don't care that gas prices are going through the roof they mouth platitudes about it but they are happy to sit there as one one-fifth or, or one-quarter of the population actually is finding it difficult to eat in light of the inflation and in light of the cost of gas uh, it's very difficult for many people and ordinarily in prior days you would hear the Democrats championing the cause of the working class or of those that are troubled not today And that's because they rule with impunity. They rule by executive order. They don't go to Congress. They rule through the administrative agencies. And they don't seem as though they have to respond to the will of the American people.
1: We're talking to Jonathan Emord. He's a constitutional law attorney, the author of The Authoritarians, The Assault on Liberty, The Constitution, and Free Enterprise from the 19th Century to the Present. He has a piece up today at uh, townhall.com. You mentioned the executive order, uh, Jonathan. When did that become so popular for both? Because the Republican presidents have done just as much. When did that executive order become so popular for both parties?
3: So uh, from the founding of the Republic forward, there have been, quote, unquote, executive orders. But those executive orders were largely ministerial until the, uh, the Great Society with Lyndon Baines Johnson. And subsequently, both Republican and Democrat presidents have used executive orders to achieve substantive legislative ends, which are forbidden under the Constitution. Article 1 of the Constitution, indeed all of the Articles of the Constitution, 1, 2, and 3, have what are known as vesting clauses. And these vesting clauses, in the case of Article 1, puts all of the legislative power, all power to make law, in Congress. None of it is given to any other department. None of it is, is, is allowed under Lockean principles to be redelegated out of Congress to administrative agencies. Yet all of that has been done through enthusiasm in the executive branch blessed by a complicit legislative branch. And what has happened is that these executive orders, which were largely ministerial, in order to get the work done that the executive must do in order to implement the law, it is moved from that to actual lawmaking where the executive by executive order directly or by order to the agencies like uh, Biden just uh, with the um, COVID mandate, the employer's mandate, uh, have uh, there the Occupational Safety and Health Administration create new laws And that has been a a disease, uh, really burdening our republic for decades now.
1: What about the individual states, speaking of edicts and uh, um, executive orders? Here in Pennsylvania, I was referring to the governor. I made a point of always referring to him as his excellency, because he was just constantly just uh, making kingly statements uh, and uh, issuing edicts to people about what they could and couldn't do. Um, how many of the individual states have gotten away from a small-R Republican form of government that you're talking about?
3: Well, um, those types of actions you're talking about, which were done, of course, by many governors, including Illinois and California and, and uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and, uh, and New York, uh, those those actions are really a violation of the separation of powers those are legislative actions that should not have been unilaterally undertaken by the executive and they should have been and were in some instances struck down uh... when challenged in in court um... but that is an abuse and when and what we should our ears should prickle when we hear the language of of an executive where they say they are going to compel us to do something because that is a power beyond their ability to do unless in the first instance there has been a law passed. And even then, uh, if it violates the Bill of Rights, whether the Federal Bill of Rights or the State's Independent Bill of Rights, um, it's unconstitutional nonetheless. What we've had is a, a in this fog of COVID and in this trumped-up emergency environment that they've used to their advantage, the Rahm Emanuel notion of use it, never allow a crisis to go to waste, they have usurped powers and made the executives much more uh, threatening to our liberties. They took away our liberties They denied us the right to travel. They denied us the right to go to specific locations. They denied us the right to congregate in churches. They've done uh, really uh, an enormous amount of harm to our liberties, and many have gotten away with it. But we have got to resolve to never allow, again, a virus or any other condition to be a basis for the suspension of our rights. We have to defend our rights against all Comers who would try to take them away and if we don't we'll lose them and if we lose them they'll be very hard to get back
1: yep and uh jonathan everybody should it should be required reading your piece at townhall.com today for a lot of people especially in washington thanks for coming on the show i appreciate it thanks so much you. Okay, that's jonathan emord you can check his piece out at townhall.com we don't live in a democracy i'll be right back Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee. With prices set to increase on all exterior products, lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at Pittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. windows are us. you've tried the rest, now try the
0: best. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
1: I mentioned Robert Reich uh, when I was talking to our last guest, and so I just real quickly uh, went and checked him out on Twitter. This is a guy who was once the Labor Secretary. He's a communist. He doesn't know it, maybe, but he is one. He's like Bernie Sanders. This is a tweet from him from uh, December 3rd of last year, about five months ago. Uh, Reform, this is, here's how we beat Republicans at their own game. This This is a guy who was in power and would like to get back into power. Reform and expand the Supreme Court. Abolish the Electoral College, grant D.C. statehood, give Puerto Rico self-determination, end the filibuster. That's what he said about uh, the, uh, how, how to get power back from the Republicans. And here he is on uh, January 6th of this year. Uh, just remember, just a reminder, Trump lost the popular vote twice. He lost all recounts. He lost 61 court challenges. He lost at the Supreme Court He lost in the Electoral College. Uh, And he says here, in 2020, Biden won the popular vote by more than 7 million votes. In 2016, Trump lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. Both won the Electoral College by the same margin. The Electoral College needs to go. That's Robert Reich. He needs to get out. Go away, Robert. I'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: John Stagerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's.